welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento, where we talk to anyone working in the food industry in and around our city. Our goal is to take you behind the scenes and introduce you to the people who are making your favorite dining experiences happen. I'm your host, Max Connor, and today is a very special episode. Neil's not with us today. Today is actually going to be a replay of an episode that I did when I was back in college at Sac State. And the reason I wanted to release this episode is because it's August, it's a thousand degrees here in Sacramento, which means that a lot of the summer vegetables are finally getting baked away. I've had tomatoes for days all summer. The ones that we can get to, mostly my three kids go out there and say they're gonna pick the vegetables and they just eat all the cherry tomatoes right off the vine. And so if you have a home vegetable garden, We're getting close to the time where you're going to have to pull out those tomato plants and other summer vegetables, whatever you may have had, and start thinking about what you're going to plant for the fall. And I had this conversation in the fall back in 2020 with Nicole McDavid. Now, she's a master gardener. She's an organic urban farmer, and she works at the Capitol Public Radio Garden. So at Capital Public Radio, they actually have this garden behind their building in the studios where Nicole grows all kinds of vegetables and fruits. They have a beehive out there, and they actually donate most of the produce to the food bank on Sac State's campus. She grows over 2,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables every year, and all of it's done totally organically. When there's pests, she just hoses them off with a hose. She doesn't do any real soil treatments. She plants different plants at different times that treat the soil. And we go over all that kind of stuff in this episode. So I thought this would be a great time to re-release this episode for people to hear as they get ready to plant fall vegetables. And we also just talk a lot about starting your own home vegetable garden. If you've always wanted to do it and never have before, and when it cools off here, hopefully in another month or so, and you want to build a couple boxes and plant some fall veggies, this is a great conversation to hear and one to go back to when you get ready to do that. Our interview jumps right in with Nicole talking about how she got into urban farming and gardening in the first place. My mom had some raised beds in our at our house growing up, and I never did anything with them. Uh, and then I realized <laughs> um, about you know twenty some odd years later when I bought my first house that uh, it had a cherry tree, and I had no idea what to do with it. And then also having that first house, I had space, and so I'm like, well, I can keep mowing the lawn or we could take out the lawn by putting a bed in there and growing something that we were we could eat uh we were living in Oregon um at the time and growing my own food uh being more aware of uh, food systems was definitely my interest in my line of sight as well as all of my friends at the time and knowing more about my food and where it was coming from was important to me and then being able to grow my own end up uh being kind of the next adventure. Um, I took gardening classes and then I ended up being hired as an urban farmer in a local um, green sustainable neighborhood. So I ended up having about 400 orchard trees to take care of and about 8,000 square feet of glass greenhouse to take care of um, as well as kind of organize a CSA and produce vegetables that went across the street into our cafe on site. Uh, And about 10 years later, I'm still trying to find all the work I can uh, within kind of the urban farming uh, community and working at the um, Cap Radio Garden 
um, has, is the next step. But what are the obstacles you see in our larger food system to trying to shift to more sustainable and, you know, larger production of organic farming? Right. Um, I unfortunately, I think economics is probably the biggest um, obstacle um, and problem with this whole situation. It takes a lot of money for either a small farmer or even a large farmer to convert their practices to being organic. Do they put money even into keeping their certification going? Who are they giving their money to to have that certification? Are consumers even looking to see if they are certified after they've put all of this money into it? Someone still may choose not to buy their mm -hmm. produce. Um, and for someone like me, I'm, I'm growing in a garden that I'm producing, you know, 2000 or you know, more pounds a year. I'm not making enough. Um, I'm not selling that product. So I'm not getting any income. I can't go and certify the garden, um, organic, uh, but I'm using all of my own organic, you know, uh, knowledge and I'm choosing to garden that way. Um, but I'm not, you know, I can't put money out into getting like a little fancy, uh, a sticker that I can put on all my produce saying that it is, you know, organic. And yeah. there's a lot of farmers who are maybe make that choice, um, to go to garden and grow organically, but they don't have the certification, but then because they don't have that certification, they can't, you know, market that they're organic and then they're, they're, they lose out on the benefits of that. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. So into some of the just straight gardening questions. And I think the yeah. first one for, for students are kind of Sac State related is if all you have is a small outdoor patio and a few pots, what are, what are the best things to grow in Sacramento? What are sort of the most foolproof things to try to grow here in our climate? Sure. The first question that I um, would respond with would be, what do you like to eat? There's no use growing lettuce and spinach if you're not going to eat that salad. You may love, uh, you know, carrots and golden beets over, you know, red beets, but, you know, uh, maybe you either don't have the space or you don't have the sunlight um, or you uh, just can't commit to watering. Um, so there's a couple different things. You have to kind of judge your time, see what kind of space you have, and then say, what would you, what would you honestly eat? Um, if you, if that ends up being that you do stir fry and maybe just have like a green onion growing in one little pot on your patio, you would be a successful gardener, uh, with one simple little thing, um, an herb, uh, like a basil or a rosemary, Okay. Mm -hmm. um, sounds good. So er herbs are a good place to start for mm -hmm. sure. Something yeah. to spice up your food with some fresh herbs and then something simple. Maybe a tomato plant. If you st if it was springtime, maybe you could do a tomato plant. Yeah. Don't worry about tomatoes now, but you know, yeah. in in, uh, in May or June by that, by that tomato plant. Yeah. Can I plant Swiss chard or kale or something like that now going into the fall? Yes, definitely. Those are those are those are fall happy plants, and actually, kales, uh, collards, a little bit of Swiss chard, but mostly like kales. Um, they like kind of our cool night temperatures, and they actually end up being sweeter um, in the fall. Are there any plants? You know, you can go to a Home Depot and buy seeds for almost anything, or mm -hmm. 
Is there anything that you've seen sold that you know, this is not, don't waste your time with this. This is never really going to grow in a Sacramento climate. Brussels sprouts are tricky. People, some people really like Brussels sprouts and um, they can be really cool plants, but they take a little more maintenance. So they're definitely not a plant to start with. Um, And you get so much more if you just buy the stock at your farmer's market versus trying to grow your own. So um, I would definitely not worry about like a Brussels sprout that kind of makes like a little head and then you have to take care of that and let it mature and then harvest it the exact right time. Okay. So I have some raised beds and I've done some root vegetables with varying success. Um, So what's the problem if I get a beautiful top, right? I planted some beets and I got some nice beet greens that sprouted up and then the beet shriveled up into a marble. You know, it was like I had six inch beet greens and a marble sized beet and I planted some, you know, variety of colored carrots and I got big 12, 14 inch beautiful carrot tops and two inch shriveled carrots in the ground. So what's happening that my root vegetables are not growing in a raised bed? If you planted too early, um, our Septembers and our Octobers um, are still pretty warm. And some root vegetables, they that heat and that um, huge heat swing that we have where your daytime temperatures can still be 80s and 90s. And then maybe you know, we start to get into the lower 50s like at night. Like that's a huge swing for the vegetable and it actually gets shocked when it cools and then it gets shocked when it um, warms up. Root vegetables are actually really, really temperamental. Your beet and your carrot, they all have a taproot. And the moment that that taproot hits anything like a a rock in your soil or Mm. a clump of clay in your soil, when the um, beet or the carrot is young, when it hits that, it becomes an impediment for it. And so it starts to grow crooked or you get the carrots that are you know holding each other and hugging Uh and that's all it's all a response to the taproot um hitting something while it was trying to um you know grow to its you know depth before it actually started adding you know mass okay Mm -hmm. um how much space do you need between plants if someone has you know a few raised beds like i have how many you know i think my beds are three by six and so you know how much sort of space do you want to leave in between crops obviously depends somewhat on the plan or what you're doing but what are some no-nos as far as planting things too close together or or not using the space to its advantage and not sort of packing them in in a way that you can Right. Um, I love uh, companion planting and intercropping. So I am putting radishes and carrots underneath my, um, uh, you know, broccoli plants and in between my Swiss chard rows. Um, so I'm plant. I like to plant things a little bit closer. Um, and intercropping so that I am, you know, I'm putting, I'm utilizing the space under that large plant. Um, and I'm also know that my like radish is only going to take 30 to 40 days. Um, because I know my broccoli is not going to be ready until mm, like 90 or 110 days, depending on when I'm planting it and what, what kind I'm planting it. So definitely look at your seed packet and that's going to be the, the best way to find that information. And then, 
Um, you know, don't be afraid to maybe put something small that has a less amount of time uh, to grow under maybe that broccoli that's going to be that long-term plant. When do I throw in the towel on a, on a crop? Not in gardening <laughs> as a whole. <laughs> I'm not there yet. But yeah. when when do I throw in the towel and say, oh, this is already like 10 days past when it was, I was supposed to have a crop and it's still hopeless? Because um, I have a hard time doing that. I'm like, I'm just going to leave it there forever till I get something when I probably should till it under and replant right. something else. Yeah. Well, it definitely would depend on, um, on what you're growing. Uh, my, the very first thing that I grew in my college years was spinach in, you know, one little, um, container on my patio. It had the one little spot of sunlight that it could get. And I tried spinach because I'm like, I'll, I'll eat a salad if I have spinach right out my door. Um, and I think I got, maybe five leaves before spider mites moved in and just ate the whole, just populated the whole thing. And no matter how many times I washed it off. And of course I was on the top floor, so um, I can't really water my plant because all the water and bugs would be washed off into my bottom floor neighbor's um, garden. So, um, you know, I, I probably kept that spider mite spinach just because I, yeah, I, I put all this time into it and I wanted, maybe it'll come back. Maybe it'll just fly away and then I'll have my spinach back. Um, I should have just gotten rid of it because also, especially if you're talking about pests, they're not just going to get up and go away. So you said with pests, once you have really have a lot of pests, maybe just nix the plant. What about sort of disease or fungus? We start to notice a lot of white. Um, if it's sort of early, if you haven't really harvested yet, but you start to see either some, you know, real splotchy yellowing or, you know, that white kind of dust. Um, like powdery, mil powdery mildew yeah. is what you're talking about. Right. For powdery mildew, it's that, yeah, it's that white stuff that you get on your leaves. And um, the extra moisture in your soil doesn't leave in the winter or in the nighttime because it's cool and it's dark. It doesn't evaporate. There's no reason to. And it actually probably gets more moisture because of dew and humidity. Um, so don't water your plants. Um late and in kind of that cool evening temperatures, especially at night, because you would have too much moisture and that's just going to invite the fungus in. Um, how important are bees for a home garden? Super, super, super important. Yeah. Okay. So if what should have... I plant to attract bees? Mm. Um, a lot of herbs uh, that are in the mint family um, are produce um, little flowers and a lot of flowers and also multiple flushes of flowers um, within a year. So um, they uh, and also those are mostly are perennial herbs. So if you keep it healthy, it'll keep coming back year after year. So you mentioned what someone in a small garden could do in the winter or going into fall. What are you getting ready to plant? at the Cap Radio Garden? Yeah, I'm getting ready to plant all of um, my cool crops. The uh, cool crop is the name that they give a lot of um, the plants that you're planting in the fall. So that would be like your broccoli, cauliflower, all of your kales, anything in the mustard green or mustard family. Um, they're, they're, actually, it's everything in the brassica family. So it's your broccoli, your cauliflower, your cabbage, uh, mustard greens, bok choys, napa cabbage, um, a lot of your stir fry greens, all of those are usually in the cold crop brassica families. Um, 
carrots, your root vegetables. Root vegetables don't like a lot of heat, so they're definitely a fall and winter vegetable. So carrots, beets, um, kohlrabi, parsnips, um, Brussels sprouts, if you want to try that, <laughs> onions, uh, green onions, bulb onions, bunching onions, um, and then a lot of your lettuces and spinaches and arugulas. Okay. All of that is in my plan. Cool. Um, so I think it's fair for me to say, at least <laughs> listening to you, that probably the biggest mistake I made and probably the biggest mistake maybe lots of people make is just not researching and really figuring out what to plant when. Because I think every crop you've mentioned that wants cool weather, I planted <laughs> in May after I built my beds. And, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that would make sense why my green bean shriveled and so did my carrots and my lettuce, you know, got burned. And yeah, uh, pretty much. I mean, I got a few things eventually, but like pretty much everything I grew Um like started okay and then shriveled up. Yeah. Well, you go to the grocery store, you can buy carrots. 365 days a year you can't grow right. carrots 365 days of the year in your backyard um, but right. how are you supposed to know unless you put that those carrot seeds in the ground and then maybe you read the seed packet that says oh you're only supposed to do it from here to here you know in the time of the year yeah um so there's a there is a big disconnect i think um with you know our just our food systems and what we're growing and um, I'm constantly, even with coworkers, they're asking, Hey, are there any lemons in the, in the garden that, you know, I can pick. So, you know, I can put on my salad, but they're asking me in, in August. And I'm like, no, unfortunately citrus is actually a winter, uh, fruit. And, um, those lemons, those kumquats, those oranges, they're not going to be ripe until, um, December and January. So come back with your salad then, <laughs> but yeah, you think you go to the sense. grocery store and get a lemon anytime. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. I guess I just figured, well, they're here. I like all these vegetables and they're here in the store and yeah. seed package. Surely they wouldn't sell me, you know, they wouldn't be here if they wouldn't grow this time of year. No. And I talked to you that's and it's like, no, I'm... none of this is going to grow in 110 <laughs> degree heat. Yeah. That's um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So last few questions at the end of every show, I always ask uh, every guest the same four sort of food related questions. And so the first one is... What is your sort of favorite cheap guilty pleasure? Mm, that I'm growing or that I'm buying in the store? No, that you buy. This is just oh, anything you okay. eat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, geez. Um, avocados. So when I see, you know, I can get like three for, um, you know, $5. Like I, I'm buying all of the avocados I can. <laughs> um, if money's no object. What are you either going to, you know, buy to cook for yourself or what are you going to go out to eat? There's a certain restaurant in my neighborhood that um, has a uh, an omelet that has like goat cheese and beets. And a lot of the times in the winter, they're golden beets, which mm. are the, the better beet. I agree. But they're extra expensive because they're <laughs> interesting colored. And um, yeah, this, even though when you buy golden beet seeds, they're three times the price of the regular red beet, but whatever. Um, so I would buy that all the time because goat cheese and golden beets in an omelet. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing to cook at home? I used to eat pasta. And when I ate pasta slash gluten and carbs um I would throw in like cherry tomatoes in the summertime to make kind of my 
pasta sauce, my like rustic, uh, fresh pasta sauce. Um, mm. and I would, I would do that all year round if I could get cherry tomatoes to grow year round. Um, but, uh, I haven't perfected it with my carrot noodles. Um, but the, you know, the rustic sauce with just like a fresh tomato and throwing it right into the pan and then that being like my tomato sauce. I really, really love that. And we, we do yeah. that pretty often. Okay. And what's the what's the thing that somebody used to cook for you growing up that you you remember you would almost wish you could go back in time and eat? So my parents had um, cherry trees in our um, yard growing up, and after I hit like high school, they stopped producing, and um, so they were just cool trees. But uh, when we had all of these cherries, we would um, freeze them, and then my um, aunt would make like a cherry cobbler with them, like Ooh. later in the season when you know the cherries weren't growing, and like that was like my favorite dessert ever. Yeah. Um, so it makes me want to have a cherry tree so that I can <laughs> grow. Um, but cherry trees are tough in the Sacramento area because we get too much heat. <laughs> Cool. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time on Amicha and to talk about gardening. Yes, um, I will talk about gardening all the time. So anytime you need someone to chat, let me know. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Dine One Six. I hope that was helpful. I hope you learned something from Nicole. And I hope it gets you excited, if you don't already have a vegetable garden, to build a couple of boxes and make it happen this fall. I just used two by fours and bought fence planks, just bulk planks they would use to replace fence boards, and built garden beds out of that. You don't have to spend $100 or $200 to buy a big stainless steel bin or even a garden box set. You can just build it with some raw materials for a lot cheaper. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And if you have time, go on Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It really helps people find the show. And send it out to friends and family. Say, hey, this is a great episode all about home gardening. Follow us on social media at Twitter and Instagram. Both handles are at Dine16. And if you have any ideas for future shows, Neil and I are working on episodes right now. We've got a bunch of interviews scheduled with chefs and restaurateurs all over town. But if you have a topic or an idea or a guest you really want to hear from, let us know by emailing max at dine16.com. For past episodes and other information, you can visit our website at dine16.com. Special thanks to Sierra Pierce, who helped edit this episode back when I was in college at Sac State. And our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine16 is a production of the Hear Me Now studio here in Sacramento. Next week, we'll have a fresh interview for you and more interviews in the weeks ahead. So until then, eat something you love with someone you love. Mm -hmm.